So I'll be giving uh, the message this morning, which I'm actually really excited about. Since everybody is on holidays, I think that makes me the, and I'm like the only pastor here, I think that makes me the youngest campus pastor SunWest has ever had. Uh, Thanks, guys. I don't know if that's actually true, I just said it. Um, But I got excited about this, this sermon series, God Through My iPod. Actually, the first thing that I thought about of the sermon series, I thought this title is a little dated. God through my iPod. How many people actually carry iPods anymore? Like, I see like two hands. Like, I think this could have been God through my iPhone, God through my Android, or better yet, God through my Apple Music account. Um, But the concept of iPods is so cool. Uh, I remember the first time hearing about it, that you could carry over a thousand songs on one device. I grew up, my first, like, my first device was a, was a CD player, like a disc man. So I missed the whole Walkman thing uh, and before that. But you didn't have to carry around CDs. You didn't have to replace it. You didn't have to deal with the skipping. I thought that was awesome. I remember when my, one of my friends got an iPod. The first iPod that I saw was this little green iPod mini, bright green. Uh, and I thought that thing was just awesome. I was so jealous. I was like, I want that. And my birthday was coming up. Christmas was coming up. So I to- tell my parents, I want this. I want this for my birthday. I want an iPod for my birthday or for Christmas. You have two opportunities to get it to me. You can't. Like it's hard to get those wrong. And, and my birthday went, and I didn't get anything. So I thought, for sure, Christmas, I'm going to get this iPod. And I get this box. And I'm like, this is it. And I shake it. And I'm like, I'm getting so excited. I unwrap it and it's an MP3 player. (laughs) Almost the same thing, but just not quite the same thing. Uh, This one only held 200 songs. So every single time I got a new album, I had to delete and replace music. I know I had a really tough childhood. (laughs) But my first iPod that I got uh, was off of a friend of mine. He was selling his iPod, and I just jumped on that, and I was like, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. Uh, and, he, and he gave me his iPod for $50. Uh, and some iPods have come and gone, but that is the same iPod that I continue to use. Ten years ago, I bought this guy right here, this iPod, iPod Classic. Uh, and I've had it for that entire ten years. I've had a couple iPods, but I always jump back to the Classic. Um, there's just something about it. It holds music. It's simple. There's only like four buttons. Uh, you can't really get it wrong. Um, but the same songs that I put on there when I was 15 or 14 are still on there today. So I thought as preparation for this message, I thought it'd be kind of fun uh, to let you guys know what are my top played artists. So all I had to do was go into top 25, and here are a couple of them, okay? So just keep in mind that these have been here since I was 14, okay? Um, Number one is a band called Alexis on Fire. Anybody know Alexis on Fire? Okay, a couple. Uh, the next, next one, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Third, Kanye West. And that's the one that I want you guys to know. That was from earlier, before I knew Jesus. Um, <laughs> fourth was City in Color. Five, Taylor Swift. Six, Reliant K. Seven, James Taylor. You can tell I'm starting to mature. Uh, and number eight, Whitney Houston. Pri- primarily the Bodyguard soundtrack. That one's my favorite. 
Uh, so everything that I was doing, I spent time listening to music. Whether I was walking home from school, walking to school, doing homework, um, yard work, working, I was always listening to music. I was even listening to music in the background while I was writing this message. And one artist that continues to come up is City in Color, who is actually the lead singer of my favorite band growing up, Alexis on Fire. But Alexis on Fire is a little bit of, like, rock with a little bit of screaming, so I thought I would like, like not make you guys suffer with the screaming and pick one of more of his folky songs. So that's what we're going to do with City in Color. This, there's one song primarily called Body in a Box that kept coming up on my iPod and I kept listening to it, and it's a song that just kept drawing me to reflection. So at this time, I'd like to actually just play that song for you. The lyrics are going to come up on the screen, uh, and that's where this message is going to be coming from, is from this song. There's a funeral procession on the highway screeches to a halt There's people searching for a better way to live their lives Oh Johnny lived a good life you'll hear them say As tears of sadness of the ground The reaper crept in took his breath away in the middle of the night Oh We celebrate the lives of the dead It's like a man's best party only happens when he
So I went to college. I played on the Bethany College soccer team. Uh, Bethany College was in a small town of Hepburn. It was about 40 minutes away from Saskatoon, and I grew up in Hepburn. Uh, and every single game that we had, we had to play, we played in Saskatoon for soccer. So that was a 40-minute drive every single time on the single-lane highway. Single-lane highway, and growing up there and going to college there, you get really tired of waiting for traffic on the highway. So one time on the way home from one of our soccer games, we already played, we're tired, it's late, uh, and we just want to get home. So we... Yeah, as we're driving home, all of a sudden we come up to this like long row of vehicles only going about 80 kilometers an hour. And we're like, what is going on here? So we convince our driver to pass as many vehicles as he can at one time. We're like, you got this. This is going to break like, all records of how many vehicles he passed. Pass as many as you can. Uh, and we convince him. So he waits to the opportune moment. He looks. He sees that nobody's coming. So he gets into the other lane and he starts to pass. Each vehicle that we pass, we count. So we're like, one, two, three, everybody's counting in the vehicle, and the number just keeps getting higher and higher, and we hit like 11, 12, 13, and on the 14th one, we're like, 14, and we realize that it's a hearse. We just pass an entire funeral procession on the highway, and then we just took off, and we were gone. Um, But I know that this song is a little bit heavy, and that's why I just shared that story to lighten things up. I know that it's a story, or the song that's a little bit heavy can seem a little bit dark, and you might be like, why didn't he pick something a little bit more encouraging? I want to go to church this morning to to feel encouraged, not to hear a song like this. Um, But the more I suggest that that I listen to the song, the more that the song didn't become about fear, it became about hope. When I was younger, I didn't really think much about death. It wasn't something that crossed my mind very much. The only funerals that I went to were grandparents and people who were older than me. So I thought death is something that is meant for people who are older. I don't have to think about this right now. It's not, it's not for me. It's something that I don't even need to yeah, spend time on. But when I was in the 12th grade, um, I went to a funeral of somebody that I grew up with. Somebody that I, that I played in the playground with, somebody that I hung out with, somebody I built forts with, somebody that I had snowball fights with, and all of a sudden this person was no longer here. And that started me on this, this journey of just thinking a little bit more about it. It wasn't until, like in the funeral, um, there was a row of pictures, and there was a picture of me and him together. And at that moment, it really made me, re- like, it made me realize that death is actually can be closer than what I thought. Maybe it is something that I should be thinking about. At that same time that 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 funeral happened, within that same year, the song came out. The song came out, and that's the reason why I just kept coming up, and I kept playing it over and over and over again, just contemplating what death is all about. What does it really? What does it really mean? Uh, and what is the purpose to life? Um, yeah, what is the purpose to life when when death is coming? Just recently. Uh, a good friend and mentor of mine challenged me to spend an hour in a graveyard. No agenda, just spend an hour in a graveyard. Uh, we live in, in Legacy, the deep south, uh, and in there is a graveyard that's established in 1889, so one of the older, oldest graveyards in Alberta. And while I was there, I was just looking at the tombstones, uh, reading the names and thinking, what is this person's story? 
and just going by from name to name. But they came up to one tombstone in particular, and I remember that it was the name and the dates were eroded away. The names and the dates were eroded away. It was so old that it was, it was eroded away, and this thought came to my mind that just like his name and dates and the tombstone is eroded away, so are the people that remember that person. So are the people uh, that, he, that they knew. And that really got me thinking, man, there's got to be more to life than this. Like, what happens after we die? Is that really it? I just can't. I had this trouble just believing that this is it. So I thought, what could happen? What are, what are, what are some things that could happen after we die? So I looked at um, just some other um, belief systems of what do people actually believe? What do people actually believe? There's got to be more hope, but what do people actually uh, believe? There are some people that believe that once you die, you are temporarily taken from this world to another world awaiting life again. You're given life um, based on how you lived your life, so reincarnation. Uh, if you live a really good life, then you come back at a really high standard, but if you screw up at all, um, there's some that go even as far as if you kill any little bit of life, even if you accidentally swallow a bug or step on a bug, uh, that I've actually seen pictures with people with masks on and sweeping the streets ahead of them everywhere they walk just so they don't uh, kill another life so that they can come back at a high standard. But if you screw up, you'll come back as the lowest of the lows of forms of life, like a cat. Or a dog, depending if you're a cat or a dog person. Um, and there's some other people that believe that there's this, this land of the dead. That once you die, everybody goes to this land of the dead, regardless of how you lived. Uh, and at the, in this land, it's actually just this temporary place. The only way that you can stay in this, the only way that you have afterlife, is if uh, the people here on earth remember you. You're only in this place as long as people remember you. As soon as the memories fade, so you do as well in the afterlife. There's some people that believe that, um, yeah, they believe that that's it. Like as soon as we die here on earth, that's it. So you better live this life to the fullest uh, and don't really care about the consequences because what happens here, that's it, right? So you got to enjoy everything. Um, and as I was thinking about these things, I, I was still left with this feeling, I didn't feel this full hope. One thing is based on all of my actions that I've got to do, that I'm always concerned about every little thing about what I'm doing, am I actually living? And one is you're living for yourself, just to get the best out of yourself, and you're not really caring about other people. I was really just struck with where is hope in that? That idea of what happens uh, after our time here is done. Um, but what I want to suggest in this, in this sermon, that our understanding of death is really important. Our understanding of death is really important um, for really two reasons. I just want to suggest two reasons. The first one, our understanding of death is really important because this message of death can actually turn into a message of hope if we understand it properly. Where it says in the song that our souls are still searching for the light. What is that light? What is that hope? Um, number two, our understanding of death can actually change the way that we live here on earth. So the first one, our understanding of death um, can be a message of hope, and our understanding of death can change the way that we live here on earth. 
When I started listening to this song, it was a song that brought me a lot of fear about death, but the more that I actually understood about death, the more the time that I spent looking and searching, the more it came into a message of hope. So here's a verse uh, where that came from, where this hope came from. To find a message of hope, uh, I just went back to look at what Jesus had to say about death. Um, I looked in John chapter eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. That message of living even though they die. The resurrection and the life, right? There's this life, there's this hope, this living even though you die. And I, and I want to look at more of what this actually means. What does this verse actually mean? So we're going to spend some time looking at the passage where this verse came from. So there's going to be some words up on the screen. I don't know if somebody's passing around Bibles from the back, um, but those might come their way. Uh, But we're just going to look at John chapter 11. I think the best way to get to know who Jesus is uh, and a way that he revealed himself to us is through the scripture, is through the Bible. So I just want to encourage you to open up to John chapter 11. And this is the story about Lazarus. John is the, is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's one of the, the Gospels that shares all about Jesus' life. While Jesus was on his ministry journey, he got word uh, that one of his friends was sick, that Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were so concerned about the sickness that Lazarus had that they wanted Jesus to come and to heal him. They knew that the sickness, if it was left unattended to, would result in death. So this is where we pick up the story. John chapter 11, starting at verse 4. On hearing this, Jesus said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So also Jesus... So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So out of this this verse, just to get a little bit of context for the story, it says, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It was this word love that stood out to me. Jesus loved them. I thought about this a little bit more. It's actually very, it's uncommon for Jesus to, for it to say that he specifically loved certain people. You might be like, oh yeah, of course he loved them. He loved the entire world. That's why he came. God so loved the world. Of course that's, that he loves these people. That's a no-brainer. But I think there's a reason why it says that he loved them. It's because Jesus actually knew these people. There's several stories in the Bible that, that talks about this family. Jesus went to their house. He went and, and, and relaxed there. He ate there. He taught his disciples there. Uh, this is the same house that Mary poured the perfume of wine on Jesus's, or perf- sorry, the bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet. Right? This is a family that Jesus had relationship with while he was here on earth. This is a family that he cared so deeply for. These were his friends. So yes, Jesus loves everybody. We understand that. But these are people that are close in relationship with Jesus. These are the people where the story is happening. So we pick it up in verse, verse 8. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. 
During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of, this, of the world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus has died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. So Jesus, did anybody catch up? That Jesus said sleep instead of death. He said sleep instead of death. So I was wondering, does this only happen this time in the Bible, or does it happen on other times that death is referred to as sleep? And it actually didn't take me very long to find out that there's a ton of cases in the Bible uh, that death is referred to as sleep. For example, there's a girl who dies and was raised back to life in Matthew 9, 24. We've got the story of Lazarus that we're reading right now. There's some people who died in the Old Testament that's referred to by Matthew in chapter 27 that were sleeping. There's Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7, that he was sleeping. So it's a common theme in the Bible, and when there's a common theme in the Bible, that means that there must be deeper meaning to it. So I was, I was thinking about what is this deeper meaning? Why do they refer to death as sleep? And I think the answer is just found in the state of sleeping. Sleep is a time where you rejuvenate. You feel refreshed. It's the time that, that you are, are woken up from. Some people can go to sleep. Like in this story, they feel, you can feel sick. You can feel tired. You, can, you could have a bad day. You go to bed. You go to sleep. You wake up. It's a new day. You feel refreshed. It's a new day. You can, you can come back almost like a different person at times when you wake up. And I think that is the same reason why the, that Jesus refers to death as sleep. That death is something that we actually wake up from. That death is something that is, is temporary, just like sleep is temporary, but it's something that we awake from new, refreshed, ready for life. That's why it refers to death as sleep. The early Christians believed this so much that they called their, their graveyards sleeping places. It wasn't, it wasn't like a permanent thing. It was just this resting place. And that's actually where we get the word cemetery from. It's a sleeping place. And I actually started to think about this a little bit more, and it's starting to make sense to me why it says rest in peace. It's sleep. It's referring to this sleep that's temporary. That's something that we're going to wake up to. It's this message. Um, yeah, like sleep, Jesus knows that both physical and spiritual death is temporary. So let's pick it up again in verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So four days. It says that he has already been dead for four days. Um, the story right at the beginning, it says that Jesus loved this family, he loved Lazarus, so why did he wait four days? Every single time that there's somebody who's in the hospital, whether it's a, loved, like it's a loved one or somebody that you know, and you get the phone call and you get the message, what do you do? 
You go immediately, right? You drop everything that, you, what, that you're doing because you love that person. You want to go be with them. But Jesus waits four days. And it is quite specific that he loves Lazarus. So why would he wait four days? There's a Jewish understanding that once somebody dies, that your soul lingers around the body for three days. For three days, people had hope that maybe this soul would come back to the body. That in three days, maybe this person would come back to life. There was this, this lingering hope that this would happen. That the soul was searching for the light by the body for three days. And on the fourth day is when they started, it started to sink in. Right? That this hope was gone, that this started to sink in, that this death really did happen. Right? The denial period is over, and now it's time to actually let this sink in and deal with the consequences. The fourth day was the day that all hope was gone for Lazarus to come back. It was in that time when all hope was gone that Jesus began to work. That time that all hope was gone that Jesus began to work. It says in verse 33, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. So what is this last day? He will rise again on this last day. So what is this last day that Martha is talking about? Again, there's, there's this, this Jewish belief that when they die, they go to this, the land of the dead. They go to this place called Sheol. Can you say that with me? Sheol. The land of the dead, which is also um, just translated in the Greek as Hades. Right? This, is this, this is the land of the dead that everybody goes to when they die, like this, this sleeping place. But on the last day, when the Messiah arrives, that all like the, the Jewish people, that they will be raised to life. They'll be raised to life with God. This is the last day that she's talking about. This last day, she does believe that the Messiah will raise people from the dead, but that hasn't happened yet. Today is not the last day. 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord. She told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here, wants to see you. So Mary left immediately. This is a pretty bold statement by Jesus. that He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty bold claim that he didn't really make very often in the Bible. Yeah, in the, in the book of John, we have all the I am statements about Jesus saying that he actually is God. But he actually stayed away from saying things like this because he knew that saying statements like this and claims like this, that people would hear them and think he's speaking blasphemy, and he knew that these would lead to his, his death. So most of the time that he actually kept this a secret. He kept that he is the Messiah, that he is God. He kept it a secret on his time, like his time here on earth to prolong his ministry. But he makes this claim to Martha, that he is the resurrection and the life. He makes this claim that, yes, I am the Messiah that everybody has been waiting for. But he makes this claim to Martha, someone he cared deeply for. 
his love for her, his love for people outweighs the consequences, outweighs the consequences of his eventual death. In verse 30, Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed he was going to Lazarus's grave to weep, that she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with a deep, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved them? Some said, this man healed a blind man. Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll away the, sto the stone, he said. Jesus told them, but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Very interesting that Mary actually has the exact same response that Martha had. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Right? There was this understanding that, yes, Jesus was powerful. Yes, he had a close relationship with God, that he could do all these amazing miracles, but there wasn't this understanding that he would raise people from the dead. It was almost unheard of. But in this story, Jesus welled up with hurt and pain for the loss of his friend. He welled up with this hurt and pain for the loss of his friend. And I'm, I guarantee, well, I get this picture when he's, when he's welling up with hurt and he's suffering this loss of his friend that he actually is thinking about his own eventual death that's coming as well. This pain that is coming to him. Even though that Jesus, this is what I find pretty amazing, that he, that he wept. Jesus wept. It's a pretty... That was always my favorite verse for memory verses as a kid because that was the only one I got right. Jesus wept. But there's something so significant about these two words, Jesus wept. Jesus knew that death was never going to be the final answer. Jesus knew that he was there to bring hope. He knew that there was going to be this eternal life. But yet, death hurt him. Why? Because he understands that death was never meant to be part of God's creation. Death was this distortion of God's creation, and, and this distortion hurt him so much that it brought him up to tears, brought him to, to weep. Yeah, at the death of his friend, Jesus wept. With Mary came a bunch of other people. There's a bunch of, of Jewish people in the community that were consoling, that were there um, for Mary, for Martha, as this death has happened. So it was these people that also came and they saw this, this miracle that Jesus was about to perform. But, he, but Jesus, knowing that these same people are the same people who have the, that are part of the Jewish religion who are pretty upset with Jesus the last time he was in Judea, that they actually wanted to kill him. And these same people are the same ones that are, are here about to witness this miracle. If there's anything that should stop Jesus from doing a miracle, it is knowing that if these people hear about it, that, he's most likely, that they're most likely going to have a plot to kill him and that he's going to die. But yet, he still does it. He knows that now is the time to bring this future hope. Now is this time to bring this future hope, 
And this message is not about death, but this message is about life. Jesus knows that it was his time to bring life, not death. So in verse 40, Jesus responds, I didn't tell you, or didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside, then Jesus looked up to the heavens and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them everything that Jesus had done. So Jesus fulfills his messianic promise. right? He fulfills his purpose by bringing the dead to life. He speaks authority over the tomb, over death, and Lazarus comes out. I mean, that would be a pretty scary thing if you were there and you witnessed this, right? This dead man comes out of this grave. By doing this, Jesus was showing his deity. He was showing that he is, in fact, God, that he is the Messiah that every single person was waiting for. All the Jews are waiting for this Messiah who could do something like this, and Jesus just proved that he is that person. He brought Lazarus to life physically, with this miracle, but I don't think that this miracle was ever meant to be a representation of the physical world, but one of the spiritual. Jesus, in in all of his miracles, is not as much concerned about the physical as he is about the spiritual. Yeah, he cares about our physical well-being. He wants us uh, to, to live this good life, but I think Jesus, yeah, Jesus is more concerned about about the spiritual, with the, the relational healing that happens. Yeah, Jesus heals the blind, not only that they can see physically, but he heals the blind so that they can actually see God for the first time. Yeah, God heals the lame. He heals those who can't walk, but he does this so that they can walk in a relationship with God. This is the same thing that's happening here. Yeah, he healed Lazarus physically, but what he was doing is he was actually giving him not a physical life, but a spiritual life. He was bringing eternal life there on earth. And it says he gave it to Lazarus, but I, I can imagine that also Martha, Mary as well. And it says that those people who were there, that some of them believed. Right? Jesus was healing so many more people than just Lazarus in this story by giving people a new found life in God. That's what's happening in this story. Lazarus was just an example to the people that this is what God has in store for all of his people. Some believed what they had seen, but there were still others who didn't. There were some that saw this really miraculous thing. If if I saw that, I would sure hope that I would be one of those people that would believe. But there are still some people who didn't believe, and that they went to the Pharisees. They went to the religious leaders. The next section of our Bible is titled, Plot to Kill Jesus. So this was the first act that started um, the ball rolling that led to Jesus' eventual death. The death, for, the death for our sins. Lazarus was a foreshadow of what was to come with Jesus, but death couldn't, in the same way as Lazarus, that death couldn't hold him down. 
the same way the death of Jesus couldn't hold, or yeah, couldn't hold him down. But after dying for us, he rose and defeated death so that death was no longer the final answer. When people talked about death in the Bible, um, it isn't talking about this physical death. It doesn't mean a physical death. It means much more than that. When the Bible talks about death, it talks about the death that lasts forever, the death that sin brought into the world, right? This death to a spiritual self, a death to a relationship with God. When it talks about death, what it really means is a life without God. That's what death brings. But what this eternal life, what this life that Jesus is talking about, that I am the resurrection and the life, the life that he is talking about is actually a life in the full presence of God for eternity. That is a, that is a message of hope. That's actually the understanding and translation of, of heaven means the presence of God. Isn't that beautiful? To live a life in the presence of God of God. That's what this eternal life that he's talking about. Lazarus is a foreshadow of things to come for Jesus, and Jesus is a foreshadow of things to actually come to us, of things that actually come to us. The answer of death, when we look and we have all these questions about death, when I was sitting and just having like, there's got to be more to life than this. What's going on? What the answer to, from, of death is all about, the answer is just found in Jesus. If you want to search for the answer, you look at the way that Jesus lived his life the way that he raised Lazarus from the dead, the way that he died for our sins, and the way that he actually rose again to bring us the full presence of God in heaven. The Bible goes on to say that the same resurrection that happened to Lazarus, that happened to Jesus, actually happens for us. It's a hope. It's a message of hope for all of us. There's a verse, two verses in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. It says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the last trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This is the last day that Martha was talking about. The last day when the Messiah arrives, that he will give new life, that he will wake us up, right? It says that we will no longer be sleeping. It says it again. We will no longer be sleeping, but that we will be raised to life. When Jesus comes back on that last day, he's going to wake us up to have eternal life in the full presence of God, to enjoy him for eternity in heaven. That's for us. So if there's anything that I want you guys to hear from this message are those two points that I talked about earlier. Right? Our understanding of death doesn't have to be one that's, that's dark. Doesn't one have to be one that's hopeless, right? In the hopelessness, that's where God brings hope, right? Our understanding of death can actually become a message of hope. And the second one is our understanding of death actually changes the way that we live here on earth. Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven, heaven on earth, right? This eternal life doesn't have to start after we die. This eternal life actually starts now. He's given us that life now. He's given us that reassurance now that it actually changes the way that we live. We're living God's kingdom on earth right now. And that is a very beautiful thing. Had a conversation with a youth the other day. He's invited to church by, with, by some friends. 
I met him before at a, at a youth event, and we had a quick conversation, but I didn't really get to know him. But while we were at, at church, we were at the, the McKenzie campus, and I was flipping burgers um, for a barbecue, and I had some youth help me. And this, this guy was helping me. And he had to go in to grab something and also notice that they're doing communion. Uh, and he's never really been to church before. So he comes back and he's like, what's this communion all about? Why are these guys eating bread and drinking juice? And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good question. That can seem like a really strange thing for somebody that doesn't know what's going on. Uh, So I was like, how much do you know about the story of Jesus? And he didn't really know the story of Jesus. So it was just like this. I was like, oh, like a fresh slate. Like I can just like be able to preach the gospel to this guy. The good news. And And I just shared about that God created you. We believe in a creator God that loves us so much, but this thing called sin got into the world and broke our relationship with God, but that Jesus actually died on the cross and defeated those sins, like defeated death, that we can actually have life in him and we can have eternal life. So that's the short message uh, that, I, that I taught him. But the reason why he came to church is because he plays baseball with a few people at our church. And one of the people at our church coaches the baseball team. And as soon as he heard this message, I guess he went to his, his baseball practice and told everybody, I'm a Christian. And people are like, okay, so what, like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he went and explained what I just told him to his whole baseball team. This eternal life calls people to, to change the way that we live right now. I'd like to invite the, the band up as we close. But this message of death, life, and a future hope leads us to action as we're living in this eternal life. So I hope that you're hearing that this is a message of hope, not one, um, yeah, not one that remains dark as what the song originally started out to being, but that it's a message of hope that actually brings life.